Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that we would let it speak with authority and truth in our lives. And Lord, we believe this is your living word, that it is inspired and God-breathed. And therefore, it's worthy not only of our attention, but of our obedience, uh, because it's your word unto us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Can I have just a little less light? Usually it's a call for more light, but I have just a touch less light, if that's okay. I uh, I run like a furnace, and so any application of heat just makes me warmer. And uh, thank you so much. Oh, the sweet relief that has come. Thank you. Some people dream of going to warm places. I don't. I don't dream of this. This is not a dream of mine. It's a nightmare. It's a bad dream. I dream of cold. I love winter. It's good thing I'm here. Place of winter. Well, last week, or not last week, Brian jumped in last week. And I thank you so much for that. And I, and I appreciated um, Brian's call to us as a church about what is your focus and what uh, what sort of is your attention on and uh, it was a good word, especially Brian. Well done for jumping in last minute. That's sort of part of pastoral ministry in some ways. And this message really sort of aligns with that um, in terms of Peter's call to us. Uh, so far in this series, we we talked about in the first part of this series, we talked about the call of Peter to be born again. And then in the second week, we talked about the call to be holy. Uh, which is very fitting then that we are singing of God's holiness today as well. And we talked about that every one of us has uh, a call to respond to Jesus, to grow into Jesus, uh, to be holy as God is holy. And we talked a bit about repentance and about putting away a former sin in our lives, uh, taking stock of what is good, putting away fear or sin, other attitudes. Uh, that sort of thing as we pursue holiness. So if Peter's first call is be born again, make a decision to follow Christ, and if his second call is to be holy, to continue on and walk in that, I think his call this week for us is to be hungry, be hungry for God. And I'm pulling that largely from from the the verse uh, that we read right at the end in chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. There's a call to be hungry. Uh, I was reading this week a story that Eugene Peterson tells. Eugene's gone on into glory, bless him. Uh, But he tells a story in his book called Eat This Book about his dog. And uh, Eugene, they they lived in Montana, and so there were sort of forests and, and mountains and stuff around. Is that Montana, Mitch? Okay, good. Thank you. President American to help confirm that for me. And uh, and they have this dog, little dog. The dog would go running out in the forest and enjoy life, and then it would find some piece of meat, some bone of some kind, and come lovingly, joyfully back 
you know, to celebrate what it had found. And it would it would bring it to the front porch and they would love the dog and say, well done, you have found food. Uh, good for you. You have found bone. Good dog, right? And the dog's all excited. And then the dog would, would you know, quite satisfied with the, the social dimension of praise, would then skitter off somewhere with the bone and find a, a nice sort of mossy place and lay down and start to enjoy the bone. And he said, this dog would do this in such a way that uh, almost like, like, and if you have dogs, I'm sure you know this, you've seen this sort of thing, that there's sort of a deep pleasure in gnawing and uh, getting into this bone. And he said, you know, he would take a few hours and then bury the bone. It'd take about a good week to kind of get through this bone. And he said, sometimes there would be moments even where the dog, this sort of guttural pleasure of sound would come out of the dog, almost like purring in a cat, but it was dog, of just loving the bone. He said this never really, this was just fun for him, but it, it stuck out to him in a, in a different way later on when he was reading Isaiah. And in Isaiah, there's a passage that talks about the lion uh, having a similar response to uh, its prey. And what was interesting in Eugene's reflection is that the word used for the lion uh, in engaging with its prey, similar to what the dog did with the bone, is the word haga, uh, to chew on, to, to use with teeth and mouth, uh, to bite and to chew and to get into, as uh, the word haga. But what's interesting, Eugene makes the point, is that haga is also the same word that's translated as meditate. And so in different passages, like I will meditate on the Lord day and night, that's also Haggah. And Eugene makes the point that just as a dog, and his dog in particular, was sort of Haggahing over this bone, savoring it and loving it and chewing it, that there's something similar in that action to what meditate is supposed to mean, meditating on God and his word. So meditate for us often feels like something you might do alone in a chapel with a little candle or something, right? It's, it's very sort of passive and kind of uh, quaint and quiet, perhaps, and very sort of mental. But in the Hebrew world, what you might think of as meditate was also to haggah. It was to, to chew on, to consider, to savor. And Eugene makes the point that we're called to be hungry for God, to haggah the word of God, to savor God and his word in a similar sort of emotional uh, or visceral way that a dog hagas over the bone. And so when we talk about being hungry for God, we talk about meditating on God's word, it means not to just sort of think about in an abstract way off on the side somewhere. It's a call for us to chew and to savor uh, to, to meditate, not just sort of think about nicely, but to really engage with God's word, to be hungry for God, to haga. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God this morning? When you engage with God, is it a haga with God? Or is it something else? Are you hungry for God to be at work in your life, for the life of God to be sort of worked out in you. Now look again at what Peter calls us to here in, in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, like newborn infants, 
Long for the pure spiritual milk. That's a call to be hungry, to be hungry for God. Now, why does he say that? So that you may grow up, that you may grow up into salvation. And then he says, also, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So if you know Jesus, then be hungry for him. Grow up into this. Be hungry. Be hungry like newborns, he says, for the good spiritual milk from God, for the good things from God, in some sense, from God himself. And notice this. Notice this. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who've responded to Jesus. They've already said yes to God. They've already said yes to God's word. They're forgiven and they're justified. But now Peter says, you need to be hungry. You're called to grow up into salvation. This isn't a call to the non-believer. This is the call to the Christian. Be hungry. Grow up into this salvation. Now, just think about that for a moment. What that means is that it's possible, and I want you to hear this, it's possible to be a Christian and not be growing. It's possible to say, I've made a commitment to Jesus, but to live your life in such a way that that is not true. It's possible to say at one point in your life, yes, I will follow Jesus, but to become stale and apathetic in your relationship with him. So don't presume that just because you grew up in church, just because you've been here for 30 years, 40 years, whatever it might be, that your relationship with Jesus is good. It may not be. In fact, the one who maybe just came for a few months maybe in a, in a better walk with Jesus than the one who's come for years because it's not based necessarily on my participation in church. It's based on cultivating a life with God. So don't presume necessarily that you're growing or that things are well unless they really are. There's a call here to take an honest stock of one's life. Am I really growing? Or have I become apathetic? And I think there's probably many Christians who give their lives to Jesus and then just sort of stop right there. I'm good. I've got my fire insurance, they say. I can be evacuated if need be. But I'm not actually interested in Jesus as Lord. Well, Jesus is. And that's what Peter calls them to here. In fact, Jesus talks. You might think, well, that's weird, Nick. I don't know about that. Well, Jesus talks about that in the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the word of God going forth and how people respond differently to the word of God in their hearts. And that it, a lot of that has to do with the attitude in your heart. And he talks about God's word going out and people responding uh, in a good way. There's good soil in your heart. And the word of God is received and it takes root and it begins to grow. That would be the, the, the good response, the appropriate response. But he talks about three other ways that you can respond to God's word that are not great. And one of those involves, get this, an initial response where roots start to grow in one's heart, where the word starts to take root, but then something happens and, and that person no longer continues to grow. 
So whether, and he gives two examples. In, in, in one example, birds come and eat the seed. And it's a picture of, of the anxieties and the pressures of the world and of evil coming and uprooting what God wants to do in your life. And then there's another example of, of the roots just sort of drying up and withering, that they're just sort of left and things aren't attended to. And it's not necessarily an outside force coming and undoing the work that God wants to do, but it's sort of inside apathy of not pursuing and pressing into what God wants to do. So in one sense, we can have an outside thing that wants to come and destroy, or you can have internal malnutrition, we might say. And so think about this this morning. Are you, are you just saved? Or are you putting down good roots? Are you longing for that good milk? Are you hungry for God? Are you growing as a disciple of Jesus? Do you know what a disciple is? Disciple means a student. Are you a student of Jesus? Are you growing in him? Are you learning what it means to be like him, to follow him? Are you learning? The church is a learning community. We're a discipling community. I had someone say once, I go to church, I don't, I don't come to go to school. I said, well, I don't know if that's quite right. In some ways, it is like a school. Because we come to learn and to grow. It's not quite the same, of course, but there's similar similarities. Peter's calling the church here to be students of Jesus, students of God, disciples, learning and growing in him, not staying in sin, right? And, of course, think about this. This is Peter talking. Peter, of all people, he knows what it's like to be in one place in a walk with the Lord and then to, to choose to follow him and to grow in that. We're talking about Peter who, who went from spiritual immaturity and active denial of Jesus to becoming an apostle. This is a guy who's not qualified, right? He's not qualified based on any of his own credentials or work. He's qualified because Jesus has called him, and he chooses to respond to that. And in the same way, Peter, you know, Peter could have, could have said, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to just, I know Jesus, but I'm going to remain sort of spiritually dead and apathetic in this. And in the same way, as I mentioned already, you can be a convert to not be a disciple. You can know Jesus, but not be really growing in him. Jesus calls us to go and make disciples, not just converts. Baptize them and teach them all in which I've commanded you. There's an element of learning in terms of being a Christian that we grow in. That's why the student imagery actually works really well. So are you growing? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God this morning? Is there a hunger in you for him to work? Or have you become stagnant in your walk with God? You can choose to be an active follower of Jesus, or you can choose to grow resentful and bitter and apathetic. And all of us face that. All of us face that. But we have a choice. We have a choice to live that out or to choose something different. So let me ask you this question. If you know Jesus this morning and you're a Christian and you walk with him, are you happy? You don't have to raise hands. <laughs> Are you happy with how your relationship with Jesus is this morning? Maybe it's great. Maybe it's awesome. Or maybe as we prayed this morning and recognized there's more that God has for us, more that God has for you. 
And maybe you realize that there's things in your life that you want to grow into. And, uh, you know, in some ways, there's areas that you need to grow and change in. If that's true, if you want to grow, if you want to continue on uh, living for God and loving him, letting him do work in you, what will you do differently to let that happen in your life? So if you want the same results in something in your life, you carry on doing the same things, right? But if you want some change in your life, say you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to learn a new skill, you need to change your habits in order to accomplish the things that you are hoping to see happen in your life. If you are working through therapy because there's been an injury and you need to train or retrain your body in some ways uh, to bring back a certain measure of function, then that requires putting in some work, adjusting what happens in your day-to-day schedule to see that begin to bear fruit in your life. Uh, if you're taking on a new skill, you need to practice it, right? What do they say? You need to put in a thousand hours before you're actually kind of beyond beginner. Is that what they say? I've heard that before. It's, we all just went, oh man, that's a lot. You need to put in the time to become more fluent in that thing. Now, in some ways, our relationship with God, of course, is not just us in a relationship with a thing or a practice or a habit, but there's ways we can orient our heart and posture our heart so that we can be responsive to the Holy Spirit as he does his work in us, or we can choose not to be. And that's where that that song, Be the Wind in These Sails, we used to sing. Uh, Jesus all for Jesus. It's really appropriate because it's the sense of opening the sails of one's life to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Spirit's already at work, but will I be responsive to move with what the Spirit wants to do in my life? Right? That's the picture there. So are there things you need to change in your life? Are there habits that you need to change in your life in order to grow, to respond to the hunger in your heart? For God to move in your life. And I mean in really practical ways. Like is there stuff in your day-to-day life that you need to put away or some other habit perhaps you need to pick up to encounter as you encounter God, as you want to pursue him? Now think again. So, so Peter's calling us to be hungry. But look again now at, at the metaphor he uses to describe the hunger, right? We as Christians are called to have a hunger for God. He says the hunger is like newborn infants longing for milk. Like newborn infants. Now, is he saying all Christians are babies? Well, sometimes it might feel that way. <laughs> That's, that Christians are just to be immature in their faith. No, no, he's not talking about the Christians uh, <laughs> being baby-ish. Though, unfortunately, I've met immature Christians in my life. Uh, But Peter's not calling everyone babies. He's calling us to long for God like a newborn baby longs for milk. So the hunger is to be newborn baby-ish. And newborn babies, if you haven't had a newborn around you in a little bit, newborn babies hunger with intensity. That's putting it lightly. There's my angry baby. I remember when we first had Rowan, who's our oldest, 
And I had him out. We were in Vancouver at the time. Had him out in the stroller, right? Brand new stroller. New dad. We're going. Boom. He starts fussing. I don't know what I'm doing. Right? Is it a is it a bum situation? It's not bum. Nope. Is he wet somewhere? Nope. He's dry. Well, then, once you limit a few things, there's only a few other things it can be. And one of them is food. And I cannot deliver in that department. He is hungry. He is hungry. I thought we'd have a little more time out and about. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. Nay, nay. The hunger had come. He needed Sarah now. And no one else would satisfy. No one else could do what Sarah could do for him in that moment. There was no quieting him. Hunger had seized him. That's the sort of intensity Peter has in mind. Be hungry like a newborn for milk. There's an intensity to that hunger. Are you hungry for God in such a way that nothing else will satisfy that hunger in your life? Nothing else will satisfy that hunger. You may try to satisfy it in other ways. But are we hungry for God in, in such a way that, that there is an undivided devotion to God alone? He alone will satisfy us. Of course, the alternative is idol worship, right? That's the, that's the counterfeit. That's the counterfeit. You might say, well, that's not me. I don't have golden calves done up in my backyard, right? Great. That's great. But what's in your heart? What's in your heart? Is it for God alone, or is there something else there that you've put? Especially your identity. You know, we can have, we can, we can have our identity set in some other thing other than what God says we are. We can look for, for, for success in work or in our family or influence or whatever, our own set of morals. Look at me. I've never done this terrible thing or that terrible thing. We can set our identity as a place of idolatry. And Christians in ministry are particularly bad at this because we can make our ministry efforts the source of our identity. And we can assume that our ministry efforts equal the same as spiritual maturity. And that's particularly insidious for those of us that are in ministry. I can start to make my identity based in who I am as a pastor rather than who I am as a child of God. And, when that ha- and lots of pastors struggle with that. And when that happens, if I don't pastor well, I can start to assume that I'm not good, right? If something happens in the church that's not good, I can start to assume, well, that's me. That's me. I'm bad. And any of us can do that. We can make our identity on how we parent. And then if our kids don't turn out the way we think they should, we think it's our fault. Well, there may be issues there, of course. But we can automatically assume that it's on us. No, our identity is not in what we own or in what we do. Our identity is in Christ alone. Our identity is in Christ alone. Uh, Aaron, who makes the golden calf, he's a Christian leader in ministry. Really, really good at it. And really good at making idols. But the whole thing is false worship, right? 
So do I have an intensity? The hunger that Peter calls us to is an intense sort of hunger, but it's also a a devotion, a, a devoted hunger for God alone, that my identity is in Christ and there's no other. But there's more to this too. You know, with babies, when they need milk, and moms, you know this, and I remember this, learning this with our four boys, like a quick little 10-second top-up does not do. Now, some kids can drain in about five minutes, and some kids can drain in about 40 minutes, right? It just, it just depends on the kid. But you need the time to have a full feeding, right? But the kids are not happy later. Mom is not happy later. Um, everyone feeds differently. I've said that already. But you can't just get away with a little, just a little bit, right? You need an effective, healthy feed to get to that which will satisfy. And you can't grow in your relationship with God by giving him 10 seconds or five minutes of your attention here and there whenever you feel like. It won't work. God calls us to have a full feed to Hagah, to savor him, to take the time to be in his presence, to take the time to be in his word, to enjoy him, to have that full feed. We need that time. You know, moms, moms, I was thinking about this when we first had kids. Moms literally give their bodies to make food for their kids. Isn't that amazing? Like, mom, you don't have to imagine, if you have a newborn, you don't have to sort of think consciously, I will now make milk, you know, and kind of, and like somehow that makes something happen. Your body just knows what to do. It's, it's really, it's really, really amazing. That moms, you're, you're designed in some ways to create food for your child. It has overtones of communion. That in the same way that uh, Jesus gives himself as food for us to eat and drink, right? This is my body. We come to him to be fed spiritually. Uh, in a similar way, the newborn comes to the mother's body to be sustained physically. There's a giving of the body uh, for nourishment and for sustaining. Um, so let the longing of a newborn for that satisfying, that quenching, that life-giving milk be the sort of posture, be the sort of attitude that you have in your heart towards God, that there's a longing, a hunger for him, a hunger in many ways for his word. And I'm picking that up from verse 23. Look at what Peter says here. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, uh, that Peter in many ways thinks of of uh, being hungry, not just for God himself, but also we're hungry for God revealed through his word. And then very quickly, and I'm not going to belabor this, but notice a few other things in the passage that happen to the disciple that is hungry for God and is, is haggaying with God, we could say. Verse 22 says, that we grow in an obedience to truth. An obedience to the truth. That means taking God's word seriously. That means savoring it, like I said, living in it. Um, I'm teaching a class on pastoral ministry and formation online right now through Eston College. And some of my, I was preparing for next week. Next week we're talking about preaching. And I was reminded again that when we preach and when you read God's word, you don't just read it and then find a thing to apply to your life. That's not how this works. 
you don't apply it to your life. Because, I, like, I apply lip balm. That's applying. I apply for a job. Uh, no, no. Applying means I handle it and choose to put it where I want it in my life. We don't apply God's word. It has implications for us. And you'll hear when I preach, I won't say what's the application, as though it's for me to control how God's word works. Uh Uh-uh. I'll say, what are the implications of God's word for us? What is the new reality that we need to step into because of the truth of God's word? And that means I submit to this. I don't control what it says and where to apply it. No, no. No, no. We sit under this as our authority. And so we don't just apply it. We let it change our hearts. We grow in obedience. That's, that's the posture that's, that's talked about in obedience. We grow in obedience to the truth. The other thing it says here is we grow in a brotherly love for one another, earnestly loving others. That means choosing to care well for the people around me, even when they're hard to deal with, right? And so that's a call not to be backbiting or gossiping or stirring trouble, right? That's about dealing with issues and and then choosing to love and to move on and to get on with life. And then that's what uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 talks about, right? Here's all the things you put away. Put away your malice. That's a desire to inflict suffering, by the way. If you don't know what malice is, that's when you want to hurt someone. Put away your malice. Put away your deceit. Your deceit means you want to distort truth and conceal it and mislead people. Hypocrisy. Put that away. That's the pretense of having virtuous character, but you're really not. So that's putting on a good show, a facade in front of people. Look at how good I am, how holy I am, but I'm actually here to to cause trouble and hurt people. That's hypocrisy. He's writing to the church, people. This can be us. He says, put away the malice. Put away the deceit. Put away the hypocrisy. Put away the envy. That's being discontented and covetous of other people's stuff. Get over that. Or people's successes. You might think, I'm not materialistic, but I sure wish my life was looking like that person's, you know, better off. Don't be envious. He says, put away the slander. You know what slander means? That's to defame someone, right? That's to make accusations based on hearsay and rumor. Don't do it. You say, we put away those things. And what does he call us to? To love God and to love others. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus summarizing the whole law and the prophets, right? Love God, love others. Grow in that. Grow in that. Be hungry for that, right? Be hungry for that. God longs to feed us. He feeds us physically with his creation, but he also longs to feed us spiritually with his word and with his presence. And so again, just this theme of this passage and of this passage is, are you hungry? Are you hungry for the presence of God in your life? Are you hungry for him to move? Are you hungry yet for soup? I am. I had a muffin just before I came up. I'm still starving, right? Are you, let that hunger physically be a, be a tangible reminder spiritually of the hunger for God that you need in your life. We're hungry for him. Do you savor God's word like Eugene's dog to haga it, to meditate on it, to take the time for a full feed? Not just a little sip willy-nilly, but savoring, savoring that pure spiritual milk. Because God longs for us folks not just to grow with some sort of information. And that's where I think the student discipleship language goes south. We don't grow just to 
have more, to know more about God, but to grow in knowing God himself. I told the story before, but I remember in my first year of Bible school going down to outing to the hills where all the students would get together and we'd uh, have, a, have a big fire outside and to help share testimonies and, and pray into the year. And I remember an older uh, student, he was in his third or fourth year, saying he was just struck over the summer. He said, I've realized I've been coming to Bible school and I was focusing on learning. I learned a lot about God, but I wasn't, I wasn't learning to love him. That was, a, and he was saying it wasn't an issue with the school. It was an issue with his heart. He said, I was learning a lot of information, but I wasn't letting it shape who I was. I wasn't letting it form me. And this year I want to change that. And that's why I say we can come to church and know a lot of things about God. We can know a lot of things about his word. But at the end of the day, we want to be hungry for him, for his presence, for his life with us. So let's pray to that end. And as we come to the table, let's let coming to the table be a, a real sort of tangible picture of uh, how much God longs to feed us. And he does that uh, through Jesus. So let's pray to that end. And then we'll. We'll come to the table together. Lord, I thank you uh, for our hungers, which are a picture of the longing we have for you to come and to make us well and whole and to forgive us. Jesus, uh, this word today is very, very particular to your church, to your body, that, Lord, we can, we can continue in a life with you and choose to follow you, or we can choose to become stagnant and apathetic. And Lord, today we just say we don't want that. We want to be hungry for you. We want to be satisfied by you alone. We want to savor you, God, that you are first and foremost in our lives. You alone and no other. We want to be loyal to you, Jesus. And so as we come to this table, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would do a work in our hearts that as we would come and receive today, it would be like us saying in a fresh way, again, a recommitting way again, Lord, we're hungry for you. You alone satisfy. You sustain us. You are the bread of life. We can look for other things to sustain us. But Lord, we come to this table, this table that we are welcome to because of your shed blood on the cross for us that's made a way into your presence and into your throne room. And because of that, we can come and we'd be welcomed in. And so, Lord, we don't come taking it lightly. We come saying we want to walk in obedience to you, which is putting a love for you and a love for others first in our hearts. That our identity is here in who we are in you and in no other. That we tear down the idols in our own hearts, Lord, that seek to make our lives about something else other than you. And we say as we come to the table, it's a step of obedience, Lord. We come uh, unworthily. Lord, we come realizing we need you to do a work in us. So would you do that, Lord, in your name?